The Liberating Arts seeks to articulate the enduring relevance of a liberal arts education during a time of pandemic and protest. Through our online platform, we will host a series of conversations with writers, academics, institutional leaders, and public intellectuals about the nature of the liberal arts, their formational purpose, and their moral significance in a time of great cultural disruption. We hope to inspire viewers and listeners to learn more about the liberating effects of these arts on their own lives. To find out more, please visit www.theliberatingarts.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, or YouTube. Welcome. My name is Noah Tolley. I'm executive director of the Center for Urban Engagement at Wheaton College and professor of urban studies and politics and international relations. And I work with the Liberating Arts Project. Today, we're here to learn about the Act Six program. And we have with us as guests, Tim Heron, CEO of Degrees of Change and founder of the Act Six program, and Marquise Dixon, Chief Program Officer at Degrees of Change and Act Six National Director. Thanks to both of you for being with us today. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Noah. Well, I had the privilege last week of attending the Act Six Summit, co-hosted by Pursue Scholars uh, in Chicago. And so I know a bit about Act Six, but for those with a bit less background, those listeners who are just getting up to speed, can you give us a nutshell version of what Act Six does? Yeah, absolutely, Noah. Again, thank you for having us here. Act Six is our leadership development program um, that was founded um, by Tim Heron, which you get to hear a little bit later from. Um, but what it comes down to is really a promise between communities and schools, schools being high schools as well as colleges. Um, and what we do is we work close alongside our college partners to identify these, these emerging homegrown leaders from within our community. And then as we work with our college partners to select these homegrown leaders who are passionate about learning, eager to foster intercultural relationships, um, who have great teamwork capabilities, um, we really work together with our college partners to identify these young leaders and to award them with some of our leadership scholarships provided by our college partners. And then once they're awarded, they're provided with five to six months of leadership development training. And this is where it really gets cool because these students over the course of these five to six months work closely with each other to build relationships um, and what we like to refer to them as cadres. So versus a student being identified, selected and sent off to school by themselves, we send these students off in groups of seven to 10 um, cohorts or cadres, interchangeable name that you want to use. Um, but during this time, many students are primed and ready to go step foot on campus and learn. Um, but then also once they get on campus, these students are assuming positions of leadership, whether it's big L leadership, whether there are 18 student body presidents, or whether it's little L, L leadership, where they're assuming other positions on campus, whether they're being clubs um, that they've started or even facilitating tough conversations on their campuses. Um, but really the heart of the program is like, how do we work alongside these young emerging leaders, empower and bolden them to live out their leadership and hope to really inspire them to return to their home communities that make them more vibrant and equitable places to live. Um, currently, I have a group of 450 Act 6 alums. Uh, we currently have around 69% of those students who return to their home communities and never 78% of those who are volunteering in their communities that they currently live in. Wow, terrific. 
So can you tell us a little more about the history of the program and what inspired the work? Yeah, no, I'll take that one. Um, so, you know, I started my, uh, well, Marquise and I are both here in Tacoma, Washington, uh, in, uh, on the West Coast. And, you know, I started my career uh, a couple decades ago as a high school math teacher in, in Tacoma's uh, most diverse, highest poverty high school. And um, in addition to teaching AP calculus and AP statistics, uh, was working with my students on helping them get into college. I had really bright students in my classes, and um, you know, with some with some help, they they found their ways to really great colleges. They we helped them, you know, assemble the financial aid for those colleges to be affordable, um, and they headed off with kind of all the promise. In, in the world. And I, at the time, kind of naively slapped myself on the back and said, way to go job, you know, mission accomplished. And um, can't wait to see what these amazing young people do with their, with their degrees. And um, really quickly, even in, in that first year uh, of, of doing that work, realized that these incredibly talented young people loaded with potential were not being as successful as I just assumed they would be in college. So too many of them began to come home short of a degree, um, oftentimes with debt that they had accumulated or began to kind of play musical colleges circulating through or just finally decided that college wasn't maybe for them. So that astounded me because there was, you know, no reason that they couldn't be living out this incredible potential that they had. So, so it was in that context really that, that Act 6 emerged. In 2001, I got to spend two weeks in, in New York City uh, with a woman who had, at the college board, um, who we were there for a, she'd, prepared, she'd developed a college readiness curriculum for middle school kids, and I was there as a high school representative along the way. But in her day job, she had founded an organization called the Posse Foundation that um, started when a young person, very similar story, uh, 10 years ahead of, of me, had dropped out of college, had come back to New York City and over lunch with Debbie said, Debbie, I could have made it in college if I just had my posse with me. So that notion resonated a pretty simple and profound model emerged with the Posse Foundation about why, as Marquis said, why is it that we send college students to college one by one? And what if we were to send them with a cohort of built-in support and encouragement and challenge? Um, and so as I listened to the story of the Posse Foundation, I was, I mean, she was telling the story of my, my Lincoln High School students in Tacoma. And so I came back um, to, to Tacoma really inspired by that and began to assemble, um, assemble folks from, from colleges in the region, from uh, a nonprofit called Northwest Leadership Foundation, where I was also working at the time. And, um, and what, we, what we began to to think about was what would that model particularly look like when we're working with Christian colleges? I think faith-based colleges and their broad diversity have some, and some really powerful resources to do this work with and some really unique challenges and particular struggles when it comes to engaging um, students of color, first-gen students, um, and kind of a, a wide you know, a wider range of students than they've traditionally served and how, and, and thinking about how they become welcoming places for those students. And so 
out of that emerged the Act 6 model. We borrowed a lot from Posse, but also tweaked it a lot. And, and one of the things that took center stage, as you heard Mark Weiss share, was this idea that this is not just about a college degree, but we, we began to see the five years, the last year of high school and the four years of college as a time that we could invest really deeply in young people and encourage them to see, to think and to challenge themselves how they could use their education back in the communities that nurtured them. And so you'll, you'll hear that throughout our conversation here, the central theme of, of incur identifying, selecting, and then encouraging young people who deeply love their communities and want to invest back in those places. Well, that's a terrific story about what Act6 is and does, where it started. Um, it's been around long enough that there must be things that have changed. There must be ways in which the program has learned and grown. What are some of those things uh, along the way that you've learned and some of the ways in which the program might have changed? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and I'll point to a couple. Um, so just to give you a sense, we, we selected our first cadre of 11 students from Tacoma, Washington. We sent them across the state of Washington uh, to Spokane and Eastern Washington and Whitworth College at the time, now Whitworth University. Um, so 11 students who were kind of carving a new path at, at, this, at this institution, what was really encouraging was four years later, all 11 of them, and actually 12 from the, <laughs> one from the second cadre. Uh, I was a stats teacher, and so I often joke, it takes a stats teacher to produce 110% graduation rate that we accomplished in that first cohort. But also in that group was Whitworth's student, uh, student body, uh, student government president. Mm -hmm. So these students walked across the stage, they graduated, but they left a, a really lasting impact on that campus. So we knew pretty early on that we were onto something and began to, to share the model and explore new partnerships. So now we find ourselves having just selected the 19th cadre of um, scholars for Whitworth University and now have a network um, that includes 17 college partners and with these newest selections this, uh, this winter, now over 1,100 students who've, who've entered into this Act 6 journey. So to your point, along the way, we, we've, learned, we've learned a lot. Um, and, you know, I would, I would start with, uh, you know, the observation that um, as, our, as our colleges um, you know, we've learned that there's, that there's work. I think we originally framed the model in those days of how can we help our, our students be successful? Um, and how can we help them to navigate institutions that oftentimes were not built with students like them in mind? Um, and, um, and build the supports along the way and raise their voices uh, so that they can shape the efforts of those institutions to be better. I think though, you know, quickly what formed was a, was a central kind of, uh, kind of point, point of wrestling. Because on one hand, we want to elevate the, the, the voices of students. Their voices have to be part of that, that work to make those institutions better. And at the core of our model is bringing student leadership to those conversations. And at the same time, 
we realize it's, it's not the responsibility of these students to change or improve the institutions. That responsibility lies with the leadership. Now, we also believe that the leadership can't do that without being informed by these firsthand experiences. But, but that, that kind of paradox or point of wrestling has, has lived at the center of Act 6. Um, and so as we've engaged uh, a wide range of, of Christian colleges um, across a number of different dimensions, um, some of whom are incredibly diverse institutions, and some of whom are, you know, predominantly, um, predominantly white institutions. And so, um, you know, we, we've learned a lot, I think, about how to encourage and empower our students, but also to not let them, not let the institution put too much weight on their shoulders um, and allow them to just be students like their peers. And so that's, that's a tension that, that we've, that we've, kind of, you know, ebbed and flowed through the program over the years. I think in, in these last many years or last several years, I would say we, we've all watched um, the conversation, the national conversation about racial justice and, um, you know, educational inequity and a take, take center stage. In our early days of the program, the seven months of training that Marquis referred to um, was, was about preparing students to, to, to live out their leadership on, in these often predominantly white spaces and, um, and to kind of grapple with this idea that what we refer to as cultural integrity, that they, while they'll need to learn new skills to navigate those places often, they don't need to give away or, or hide or suppress their, their home cultures and identities. And that those are tremendous assets um, that they bring to those places. A lot of the feedback that we got in those early days was students saying, as we looked at, at um, as we walked through some of those trainings and, and helping them to think through that was giving language to the experiences that they had carried through their lives but they often didn't have the language. And so as we provided some theoretical academic and just you know, practical frameworks for how they could think about that mm -hmm. as they prepared to go and then navigate through these institutions, that was a big part of the value of the training. Well, if you fast forward now, as these national conversations have taken shape, our students come preloaded with the language of social justice, with the very mature understanding of um, systems of, of oppression and, you know, kind of some of the systemic challenges that colleges are not immune to. And so we've had to think and adapt over these last several years um, how, our, how our training meets students where they are. And I don't know that, that at the end of the day that, the, that the, the goals or the outcomes have shifted that much, but we've, we certainly are are finding students at a different point in the, in the journey and with a different vocabulary um, that's much more developed. Um, and so I think that's, that's been a big part of, of how Act6 has had to adapt and change in, in, you know, in these recent years. And Q, I might just uh, see if you, there's anything that you would add or, or say in addition to that. 
No, I don't think I would add anything, but just highlight these students are coming better prepared with language, with ideas and different thoughts and strategies around how to engage not only their home communities, uh, but their campuses when it comes to racial injustice. Like how do we make our campuses more, more inclusive places um, as well? So that's something that all our site directors um, our, our individuals who work closely with these students have identified. It's like, okay, hmm, these students are keeping us on our toes uh, as versus in the past, we were really again, working closely with them to try to equip them with the right tools and um, conversation starters and being thought partners with them, which we continue to do with our current students. Uh, but just no, noticing the shift uh, when students come and prepared with, again, with this equity lens is something that we've most definitely identified over the past few years. And I think one of the conversations that that's created with our scholars is, and I, this has been around from the beginning, I would say, but it sometimes has a new intensity now is, is a built-in and, and, and a, a righteous impatience with the pace of change at mm -hmm. institutions, particularly like the private liberal arts colleges that, that, that they work with. There's an expectation of more rapid change than our institutional partners are accustomed to. And I think that's also true of the time we're living in more broadly. And, um, and so I think, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's heightened our, our sense of how do we continue to appropriately partner with and challenge our, our, our college partners, mm -hmm. but also help to um, set up expectations for our students of what, you know, how they might engage and what change they might experience in the four years or even the first year that they arrive on, on campus. Mm -hmm. So I wanna revisit that point about the institutional partners and what makes for a good partner in just a second. But one question I have, uh, both of you seem to know your students very well. Um, you probably know the families and communities that they come from. What are some of the misconceptions people have about the students you most frequently work with, their families, their communities, that ought to be corrected if we're going to partner well to do this kind of work? Yeah, I'll take the first crack at it, Tim. Um, and and I'll, I'll answer this question from my past 11 years of living in Minnesota, where we launched the first Act 6 program outside the Pacific Northwest in 2014. And when we we're trying to launch it, we saw, we heard so many misconceptions about the program um, in regards to, well, this is just for students of color. Um, this is, these students really don't wanna go to college or why are you recruiting from these specific communities? And part of the story was, these communities have sent students to some of our partner colleges who happen to be predominantly white institutions. And those students would end up leaving debt in no degree. And that debt would follow them wherever they went, as Tim alluded to, you know, sort of this musical colleges um, illustration that he painted. So for us, it was, well, this, this, these communities have actually experienced hurt by your institutions. You know, that these students, these students were entrusted by their families to come to your school and have an experience um, to where they would want to come back to their home communities and be able to share it with their siblings and their friends from up and down the street, go back to the old high schools. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, so we had wounded and broken communities that didn't have trust within some of the colleges we partnered with. So, but then also we fast forward and you actually have these students first years on campus. 
And when your students would show up during their first year experiences and it would be some of their peers on campus saying, oh, you must be adopted or, oh, you must be here because you got that new diversity or multicultural scholarship on campus. And again, these are young 17 and 18 year old kids who again are the first chosen within the Twin Cities areas to go to at this point in time, three different institutions. So for us it's okay, how do we wrap our arms around these students and, and journey alongside them for 84 years, but then also a lot of our prep work that came during these, the, during the pre-college training was he really equipping them for, this is what you're gonna experience. These are the stairs you're gonna get, these are the looks no matter how hard we try to expand the brand externally, knowing that we're going out to these communities, we're advocating for our partner colleges. Um, there's also this need for internal branding as well. So the institution doing its part by having several meetings, by making sure that people understand this is first and foremost a leadership scholarship um, and knowing that these communities have so many individuals who are going to college every single year, ask yourself, why aren't they coming to your school? Um, so those are some of the some of the early findings that we found around misconceptions. Um, and then you also factor in the high turnover rate within higher ed and some of our partner colleges. So there's always this refreshing and need to make sure people are getting the messaging right around it. Because the ones who ultimately end up suffering are the students who are on campus and they're always being penciled in or put in a box around diversity or low income, which we do serve low income students. We do serve students of color, but when it comes to the heart of the program is centered around leadership. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, uh, what makes an institution a good home for the students in your cadres? Uh, what, what would be, let's say, the differences between institutions that make a difference for the students? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I didn't know if Tim, if you had anything else to add to that last piece. Um, but so as we look at good homes, Noah, I think part of it starts with leadership, right? It is for, for it's from the top down when a president will say, these are the problems, these are the areas of concerns that we've identified as institution as we look ourselves in the face. Um, and what are we going to do to solve it? Um, and you were at the summit last week where we heard from one of our um, couple of our dear colleagues, Tim Fuller, who's a higher ed consultant, and also Steve Moreland, former VP at Taylor University. And even they went back and forth. Tim Fuller would say, Act 6 is not the silver bullet um, to solve all your diversity, equity, inclusion problems on campus. And Steve Moreland would say, to the contrary, it actually helped expose a lot of those areas where we weren't adequately supporting our students from marginalized communities. So I think it starts with leadership for them to be able to identify it. Um, and we're joined by one of our former presidents, Jay Barnes, our former president of Bethel University in Minneapolis. And he talked about how this was one of the, the best decisions he's made in over his 20 years at the institution. So if we can have leadership buy into it and understanding, again, this, is, this can be part of the solution, um, but then also have that information matriculate down, the messaging about the why we're doing this, matriculate down to those members who are working most closely with our students. Um, we know that that, it's gonna make for a better experience for our students being on campus. Um, but then we'll also, I will add to it, just one of our values at Degrees of Change is committed to collaboration. So actually having partners who view this as a true partnership. Um, Act 6 was started in this community in partnership with college. So knowing that if we can get both of these key stakeholders to come together and wrap their arms around these students, emerging leaders, um, then the, the, the success rate is gonna be higher so be able to work closely alongside these institutions 
um, who view us as a partner within the community or an extension of their brand within these communities, which a lot of our partners have respected brands and deep committed relationships in these home communities. Um, but then from there, I think it really does make and set the table for our students to have a good experience on these campuses. So they're so they want to come back. They're their biggest brand ambassadors. They're wearing their 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 school's swag, as they look kids like to call it, their sweatshirts, their hoodies, hats. Uh, and they go back and they're going back to the high schools, so they're going on recruitment visits, and just seeing the posture in which they talk with such excitement. Um, they're proud to represent their institution and go back to Rama Mater High School and be like, look, forget what you've heard about this school. This is how they're looking to solve it. Because again, these colleges are making an unparalleled financial commitment into these students' lives. But again, the return on the reinvestment is so much greater than just a dollar sign. But when they come back to their home communities and they're representing the school and the school gets to see that, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I think it starts with leadership and continue to have consistent messages, messaging can matriculate down through the entire institution. Uh, knowing that not everyone's gonna listen, but knowing that an effort is being made and knowing that what Tim alluded to, I think hit the nail on the head, knowing that these students, uh, they're not gonna be the experts. And I go back to my own experience of being a history major and going back to my several history classes and we would talk about American history and we would talk around slavery and it's automatically all eyes are what do you think about this Marquise? Um, we're not asking for that for our students, mm -hmm. but what we are asking for them, their voices should be heard and their voices should be considered when it comes to, especially diversity, equity, inclusion on your campus, um, students of color experiences overall on your campus. And so for some institutions, they really do do a really thorough vetting process of, okay, how, how are we recruiting these students? How are we selecting them? What's their persistent and graduation rate as our institution? And then once they do that analysis, then they're then in partnership with them, we're able to come together and be like, this is why Axis will be a great fit for your institution. And I'm not sure if you had anything out of that, Tim. Yeah, I, I think that's great, Marquise. And I, I would just I think the one thing I would add in this kind of what we've seen that in the in the institutions that have really thrived with Act 6 is, and we saw this at the, we heard this in the summit from the, the folks, the leaders that Marquise mentioned. Um, but there, there's a sense of, of humility, both personal and institutional humility, as you enter into these really challenging, both kind of discussions and institutional change initiatives. And, and I think in the colleges that have, have really maximized their engagement with Act6, have best supported students, there's been a, um, there's been a different approach. Oftentimes, white folks like myself, you know, over the 25 years that that my wife and I planted our, our family in the hilltop community of Tacoma and navigated um, the community here, you know, there were many moments where kind of confronted with either miss, my own missteps, my own misperceptions, kind of hidden uh, biases or um, ways that I kind of breathe the air of, of the kind of often racist environments that we live in and, and those get exposed. I think for, for many white folks like me, there's the, the default is to, is to disengage, to run away or to be, be defensive. And I think institutions have their own versions of that. Students come to campus, they begin to push and challenge in ways that are, that are often uncomfortable. They often push on some things that are dearly held. 
parts of institutional life. And, and we've seen institutions, our partners and, and others respond in ways that are sometimes defensive, that are sometimes evasive, um, but where there's been the deepest engagement and the most fundamental transformation is, is when there's a sense of humility, a commitment to staying in the conversation, to leaning in rather than running away from those, those difficult and uncomfortable conversations um, and continuing to, to engage, to listen. Um, that's I think where, um, where the transformation begins to happen. Um, and, and as Marquis said, that begins at, at often at the senior leadership, but it, 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 it works its way all through the institution to the extent that, uh, that leaders, that staff members are, are willing to, to engage the challenges. And sometimes those challenges are kind of rough around the edges. You know, they're not as, as carefully thought out and with nuance because these are first year college students and often the first in their families to show up. So they don't know all the complexity, but they, but they know what they're experiencing. Um, and so the extent to which folks have been willing to lean in and, and stay engaged, that's where the significant change. And, and the, you know, it comes back to students. Those are the students who have talked about really difficult challenges, but also go back to their communities and say, this is a place I think my younger siblings should go. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how this place shaped me. We heard that in the summit too, two of our graduates who, you know, can point to very difficult times at their, at their you know, in their undergrad days, but who still now 10 years out of college look back and talk about the, you know, how that experience shaped their worldview and their values. Mm-hmm. So once your students are on campus and they're choosing a field of study, what what fields of study do they typically choose, or is there a is there a range that's typical, and then sort of outliers, or are they are they really spread across all disciplines? And what are the factors that tend to play a role in their decisions? Great question, Noah. I think it's sort of the latter, what you mentioned, right? So, so they're spread throughout all disciplines. Um, scholars are free to and do choose to study all majors. Um, um, but then we also know that we also have scholars too who, who are specifically in the majors and careers when it comes to education, social sciences, uh, and likely because of the mission of degrees of change, but then also the value perspective that we hold, um, students tend to lean more, the, more so in those areas. But we actively encourage and we celebrate all our scholars and graduates um, because, and we also have quite a few, which you heard from last week, Dan Juma, um, in the STEM field, but then we also have scholars who are in the business and tech world. One of our board members is actually works at Microsoft uh, and all other fields. So we really try to challenge them to see the potential for positive influence and leadership they can express in those venues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes it comes down to exposure, um, but also sometimes factors which they experience within their home communities and their households that really can help motivate them drive toward a specific field that they might want to study as well. Mm-hmm. So how have uh, liberal arts institutions, or let's say not necessarily only places that would call themselves liberal arts colleges, but places that prize the liberal arts, uh, how have those institutions served your students well? And what are some ways in which those institutions in particular 
might look to improve in how they serve your students? Yeah, I, I'd say one of the um, one of the fundamental ways that um, that all of our that our all of our colleges would would probably identify themselves as liberal arts colleges, and um, and I think there's something unique in in the liberal arts approach to higher education that 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 aligns nicely with with our work, and it's this idea: sure, you're going to college, you're going to get a degree. And we, we really hope that that turns into a good job uh, that earns, you know, a living wage that, that kind of, um, you know, allows young people to, to begin building wealth in a way that maybe their parents didn't have the opportunity to, um, or that was more in common in their community. So, so that, that net result, that financial result of a degree that turns into a job is, is, is important. But we, we ultimately, I think, look to a different outcome in, in assessing what Act 6 is about. And it, as, as we've articulated, it's this idea of how do we equip leaders from across communities that represent the full diversity of those communities to, to exert that influence for positive change and to make, you know, help, help grow more vibrant communities. Well, that's, that's not something that, that, that you major in in college. Um, and so, I, I, but it is a place, I think, where the, the classic liberal arts can, um, can really support that, that broader mission as our students are challenged to, to think in new ways, to sharpen their communication strategies, um, to, um, yeah, to, to, to pull together the different threads of their education in new ways. So I think there's a sense that our graduates come out ready to, to innovate and to, um, to think differently in the world. So I, I think that's one of the, the great assets of the liberal arts. At the same time, I think there's some built-in challenges in that most of our liberal arts colleges are formed around a curriculum that has not that does not represent the rich heritage of of uh, of learning and knowledge across the world. It's you know rooted in a in a Western curriculum um, that has that has a lot to offer, but also doesn't fully represent some of the traditions that are and and heritage that our students bring from their own families and their cultural background, and so. Oftentimes, you know, the very sense that a liberal arts education pushes you to think in new ways and extend your thinking. Sometimes that's true, but in a very narrow way. And our students come and often don't find themselves or their own traditions represented well. So they are pushed to think differently, but they're not able to contribute or draw from these kind of rich resources um, from you know, from other traditions. And so that's a place that, that our colleges um, need to continue to grow and, and have been in some places in some really significant ways. And, and quite frankly, often back to this, this paradox or dilemma, you know, often at the urging and pushing of Act 6 scholars who are raising their voices, it's not their job to design the curriculum, but they are pushing our institutions to broaden their sense of what that 
liberal arts core represents and can and draws from. So if we look out five years, 10 years into the future, what are some things that you think colleges and universities are going to need to do well to better serve students and, and partner with organizations like Act6? As I think about wrapping up our conversation, I think not, not just about right now and, and looking back over the past successes, but looking into the future and saying, what's coming down the road? What can we do better? What do we need to plan for now in order to serve well the students that you serve and partner well with organizations like yours? Yeah, no, I think you raised up something that that I think everyone in higher ed is thinking about and as you talk about the enrollment cliff, um, as we start thinking around what's coming down the road, how do we position ourselves? And again, I'm not a higher ed expert, but I speak through the lens and perspective of someone who is a first generation, low income college student who's lived in the communities and communities of the students that we serve. And one of the things I think about is, as we look at how students of color are currently being served and supported, or students from marginalized communities um, are being supported and on your campuses, I think I will start there. Like think about how they're currently being supported on your campus. As we look at the impediment enrollment cliff, knowing that the market share of high school graduates is gonna become drastically smaller um, start pivoting yourself now. Uh, I've heard a, a dear friend of ours refer to some higher ed institutions, so, sort of like a cruise ship, like that they're big and they're massive institutions, uh, but it takes them quite a bit of time to turn and shift, right? So how can you start positioning yourself now to think around, okay, who are gonna be the demographic of students that, that we will start recruiting um, in the upcoming future and, and I, th I think that's when we start thinking around, okay, that's gonna be you going into different communities, communities that may not reflect the majority demographic of students currently on your campus. And what's it like for you to truly partner with those communities um, and actually not only get those students to your campus, but then to support them well to where they thrive and they're not just in a survival state. <clears throat> and I think that's a hard question. And I think it goes back to what Tim talked about with humility, be able to ask yourself the hard question, like what are the things that we value as an institution? Um, and I think if it's leadership, it, it, is it diverse perspectives on your campus? It, it, is it equity? Is it inclusion? Um, if those are things where where you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're having those hard conversations talking about, okay, how can we effectively position ourselves for what's coming in the future? Then I think Act 6 would love to have conversations with you, obviously, right? Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I think one of the things I think about is we see a breakthrough with college partners who signed up and they're very skeptical at the beginning, right? They're like, okay, we're, we're doing this because someone else told us to do this. Um, but when they can stop viewing us just as like a, a vendor or a consultant, but as a true partner, I think that's when our partnership and collaboration truly does flourish, um, when they're able to be thought partners with them. And as we look what's coming down the road, we would love to be part, at, be at the table with them thinking, of how can our program model help your institution? not just for what's coming, but when you look at a sustainable model, that's a mission alignment with your institution as you think around leadership, and you look at the core values, what makes the Act 6 program what it is. And you might say, well, right now, we would really like to shift our market share towards students of color. Well, that's great. 
So how do we take that from just being on paper and actually put it into action? And knowing that Act 6 isn't specifically about recruiting students of color, um, but if you leverage it the right way, it can be a recruiting mechanism for you. It actually can be a lightning rod for recruitment as we can really help with that spillover halo effect for institution. Knowing that you would award seven to 10 students that come to your campus, um, you also wanna start counting for that spillover, those additional students who come into your institution through our process. That's additional revenue, potential revenue for your institution. But then we also think around these students um, actually thriving on your campus and actually persisting through, that's when we're able to look at our metrics and our data, which we love to talk about, by the way. Um, we're able to point to our 78% six-year graduation rate for our students, um, knowing that they're making it through the finish line. Um, but not only are they on your campus, they're having some of these transformational conversations on your campus. Um, I go back to Minneapolis and what happened, it happened this past summer when it came to sort of this racial reckoning and guess who were some of the first students out in the community of South Minneapolis? Those are Act 6 scholars. So not only are they leading off campus, but also those raising those conversations on your campus. Again, that's, that's long-term sustainability as you think about building a culture, building an environment that can support students well um, for these institutions. So as we look toward the future, I do think Act 6 could be part um, of the solution for some of our higher ed colleagues out in the world. Um, especially, again, if it checks the boxes for them uh, around leadership, around mission alignment with the core values of the Act 6 program, um, but then also bigger, bigger strategic priorities for the institution as well. And Tim, I'm not sure if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is that we've, we've used this, this language surfaced up in the early days of the, the program and, and it's, it's resonated for too long, honestly, but it's just the idea of our, the institutions we partner with and predominantly white institutions often feel, feel to our students like when they show up their guests in someone else's home. They were built with, with someone else in mind. And that's, that's been a challenge for some time. But when we look to the demographic shift that, that Marquise is, is referring to in the future as the population of high school graduates becomes more diverse, shrinks overall, and becomes more diverse, that's not going to be a sustainable, you're, you know, our colleges are not going to be able to sustain themselves by recruiting students who feel like guests. They're going to have to be built with those students in mind. And that's a fundamental shift that colleges need to begin the journey on now if they haven't already. And, and at the end of the day, from an institutional perspective, from a college perspective, I think that Act 6 is a fundamental strategy around how do you look to leaders to help shape and inform that fundamental shift from a place where students of color, first-gen students feel like guests to a place where they feel like they're showing up at, at, at home. Well, thank you. Uh, on that note, I think we'll wrap up the conversation, but it's been wonderful to learn more about Act 6 today to think with you about how liberal arts institutions can also get better at serving the students that you also serve and to learn from both of you. Thanks, Tim, and thanks, Marquise, for being with us today. Thanks for having us, Noah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.